the best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And it's really good to be back today. I've been off for the last few weeks um, because of all our hugs, our our festivals. And my daughter was here with her baby from Israel. So it it actually gave me a wonderful bonding time with them. But it's really good to be back on air. And especially as I have a fantastic guest today, Stan Matthews. I know Stan from our shul in our community, and he is just the greatest guy. But he's also the CEO of Supersport United, and he's the president of Linksfield Shul. And he also does a tremendous amount of mentoring, of coaching, and actually encouraging people to to reach their, their best potential. And today our topic is leadership, mentorship, responsibility, and connection. And it makes me think of Hillel the Sage's quote, If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Now, this commitment to self, Stan, is very important because you reach out to so many other people. How do you care for yourself? Welcome, first of all, (laughs) before I hit you with that question. Yes, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I think... Yeah, my wife takes care of me. Good for so, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to think too much about uh, taking care of myself. But on, this, on you know, on the deeper side of the question, I think you know, it's sometimes it it it's not a chron- chronological order in terms of taking care of yourself or taking care of others, because sometimes taking care of others leads you, you know, to finding more of yourself and being more of yourself. So if you're fortunate, you work through it in the right order, and you first you get yourself together. But I don't think that there's many of us that can you know, really say, uh, especially when we're young, that we know what, what we want and where we're going. So you know, once you enter that realm of chance and you, you, you don't know where you're going, so then all the other factors open up and then you know some people will call it luck and some people will call it destiny and it's uh, you know some say oh he got a great work ethic or he was very talented or very intelligent we look for attributes to to see you know where, where life has guided us but obviously our responsibility first and foremost is with ourselves. i don't think you can be your best leader i don't think you can do your best for others if you're not together with yourself absolutely i have to agree with you and while i i I think it is a noble thought and it's a true thought that by reaching out to others we definitely reach in and heal ourselves uh we find meaning with within ourselves just by reaching out to others but uh, i think the philosophy is uh, as well that we do have responsibility for us and you do you do a tremendous amount now stan i was reading an article that was in the uh, citizen saturday citizen and um my son actually i asked him to send it on to me so i have it here my son norman um but i see you say that you actually got into your business side of the game 
of uh, of soccer by chance. Tell just tell me how that came about because you started at King David School, right? King David Linksfield. Yeah, I matriculated from King David in 1986. Okay. <laughs> to think of it. <laughs> and um my old sports coach uh, Sean Connor, uh, you know, he, he was eventually the principal at at I King David him Primary clearly. School. But he was my soccer coach and um, and, and my cricket coach and when I finished school he gave me an opportunity to coach soccer at King David to coach cricket at King David to run coaching clinics with him in the school holidays and and he kind of like ushered me into a, um, not a career in coaching because at that time I didn't really you know see myself as, as, as going into sports or coaching I was trying to make a little bit of extra money and I was at university um, studying to be a psychologist. And, you know, so my life was going in, 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 a, in, a, in a certain structured way. Um, m- my parents wanted uh, me to study, you know, particularly my mother, that I should, that I should study and, and get a degree. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I come from a family, you know, filled with lawyers and doctors. So there was quite a lot of peer pressure around the table to follow in in my uh, late uncle's footsteps. My late uncle was was a lawyer. My, my other uncle's a lawyer. My, my auntie's uh, um, an advocate. Uh, my late uncle's a chief judge. Other uncles uh, lawyers. So you know we've had so many lawyers in the family, and 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 doctors also in terms of my aunts and uncles. So. My family wanted me to go down a traditional uh, path, and psychology seemed to be the the route for me. And uh, as I say, I got into the coaching as a supplementary thing. But, uh, you know, luckily for me, it turned out to be something that I was decent at and that I grew in and led me to, to Highlands Park Football Club. And okay, can we uh, just wait there that, a sec? There it started. We just to that where that's the start of your career, but we're just breaking for an advert and then we'll get back to that now, Stan. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Stan Matthews. And if you'd like to SMS us, you may on 34519. Or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. Stan is CEO of Supersport United. He's also president of Linksfield Schul and many other things. And he was talking about the different choices he actually made. There were certain expectations that the family wanted on him, which I think we have in most school systems, especially um, where education is incredibly important. But Eleanor Roosevelt said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes, and the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. Now, Stan, it sounds as though this is something you intrinsically knew, that the choices that you made were going to be your your choice, your responsibility, not put on to you. Do you agree? Not really, because I didn't, I didn't consciously choose a lot of things when I was younger. I I was surviving and I was, you know, being a little bit selfish. I think as most teenagers see the world, I, I, I didn't really have a broad view. And now we can look back and say, oh, the choices were important and this choice was good. And, of course, I do look back. 
and even you know getting into coaching just to get in front of Sean Connor in the first instance um, was engineered by a love and uh, bond with my brother because my younger brother he's eight years younger than me he, he lives in Melbourne um, now but at that time he kept nagging me to go and watch him play football and I just got my license so I didn't really have an excuse not to go but every week he would say come watch me and, and you know either I couldn't or I didn't and you know the one day I said you know I'm, whatever happens today I'm going to go and watch him play and on that particular day at Bedford View when I went to watch him his coach hadn't arrived and so the team wasn't doing so well uh, without a coach and I was just there because I went to watch my brother and it was pitiful to see what was going on on the field so I kind of took charge of the situation and then Sean came to me after the game and said you know I like what you did there would you like to have a job so you know action I think in terms of choices that if you act on something if you feel something if you act something and if it's pure and it comes from a great space later in life you can look back and you will see that it led to blessing that that's what I believe and I look at a lot of those type of choices and things that came from a source of purity from me that later manifested into a source of blessing, unexpected blessing, or chance, luck, whatever you want to call it. But I can look back and see that it was spurred by action. And yes, choices, but even terrible choices that I've made in my life, many, many bad choices that I made in my life, and some that were, were, were blatantly you know, poor choices, but led to tremendous blessing. Uh, in the journey and in the looking back. And so, in the suffering, perhaps? Not at the time, never at the time, because suffering is the worst. And I think, you know, we all suffer so much with so many types of stresses and strains, health, financial, uh, depression. You know, everybody's grappling with, with uh, you know, different type of uh, issues, mm -hmm. uh, socioeconomic, uh, where we are, and especially as South Africans with our family spread far and wide across the globe, that connection, that bonding, you mentioned your daughter from Israel, the constant saying goodbye and, and you know, not knowing, uh, you know, when will you see somebody again, uh, you know, those type of things, they... They go to the core, but we brush them aside in, in, in our day-to-day -day life because we're getting on with things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not, we're not dwelling. We have, to, we have to get on with it. So in that realm of getting on with it and making choices and doing things, I think if one finds that one can be grounded and have a sense of stability, which sometimes comes from the self and sometimes comes from the choices that you make with who you surround yourself with, your life partner, uh, you know, wife, girlfriend, friends, family. Those people are, are your foundation. And if you're not strong there, then you may land up making choices that are off kilter with where you need to be, where you should be, um, and what's ultimately, you know, going to lead to blessing for you. I have to agree with you, quite honestly, with all you say there. And, you know, I was reading an article by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs and um, about how each school, for instance, has its own motto. And if, if you actually think of the school of life, as we go through our lives, we do have our, our motto for different periods of our lives. But he talks about the far horizon and how important it is to educate our children. And he says... 
um, that as a whatever the society, the culture, or the faith, we need to teach our children and the, and they theirs what we aspire to and their ideals that can help our world. Now he's not saying necessarily that it's it's just the the academic. He's just saying very differently. He's saying we need to give our children an internalized moral satellite navigation system which I think is beautiful, so that they can find their way across the undiscovered country called the future. And he says we need to give them the strongest possible sense of collective responsibility for the common good. He says, and I have to agree with him here, there is far too much I and too little we in our culture, and that's what we have to teach our children. Would you agree with that? I was reading your article for our, with the Shul magazine, and it's very much what you say about reaching out. And what do you think? Look, I love uh, Lord Rabbi Sachs. I, I read um, his leadership book on Bereshit this week, and it's talk. It's called Taking Responsibility, um, and he talks very much um, about how. Adam and Eve and the snake and everybody else, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Cain walked away from their responsibilities. Um, I hear very much about the future. I think, I think it's a difficult generation that we're in because if we look at where our great grandparents, where our grandparents came from, um, and especially wartime and insecurity, uh, and that type of movement And we've been ushered into an era now Of 70 years of relative calm and peace We haven't had to um, have The type of rigors and insecurities And lackings that, um, and, and tremendous suffering uh, That, that our, our grandparents' generation And our great-grandparents' generation Had to go through So, you know, for us now When, 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 when we become parents Because my view of the world Was very different Before I became a parent mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I saw things differently And so only now I can see uh, What my mother told me uh, And, and the, the, the stories I gave her So it comes back to To bite you in the tochas <laughs> <laughs> You know and, But I think when, when you reach this kind of midway po- in for me two thirds of the way through my life probably um, it, it, your perspective becomes a little bit different and it does become about what you hand over and some of that is 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 what you, you know what, what you say and where you steer your children but most of that is how you live your life as an example for instance yeah because that's what the kids see and um, you know we try I think our whole generation certainly everybody that is in and around my age group, my wife's age group that we mix with, has a desire um, to to do and 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 give their kids, and and create a world that's for their children. Um, and sometimes you see all of us as parents, we overindulge or we underindulge. That getting that balance right um, is uh, is is the challenge that's in front of us. But ultimately, in the end, real character. If I if if I say What's stood me through the sufferings and, um, and the tough times and the, the challenges where, where, where it was dark was, 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 was character that was instilled into me primarily by my mother and by my grandparents on both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you look at it like that and you, you take from it. And you see the resilience and you see the character and the fortitude and you say, okay, 
I have to get on with it. I have to do something. I have to make a difference. So first for me, and then for my family, and then for my, you know, my extended family, and then for my community, and my friends. And, you know, so hopefully you can, you, you can make a small contribution in each of those areas. And you certainly have. We're going to be listening to a YouTube by, um, uh, on Rab, uh, not Rabbi Frankel, Victor Frankel on responsibility. And then we'll go back to you. Victor Frankel, the author of Man's Search for Meaning and a Holocaust Survivor, he firmly believed that if we don't act responsibly with our freedoms, we will lose those. And now we're able to create his vision. His vision was to create a statue of responsibility. Book in the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast with a statue of responsibility on the West Coast. Freedom threatens to degenerate into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsiveness. And that is why now it's uh, for 10 years that I've been teaching my American audiences they should see to it that the Statue of Liberty on the, on the Atlantic coast be supplemented by a statue of responsibility on the Pacific coast. Every day we make decisions. We can think about what defines us. Is it our past? Or is it where we're going? Is it what we want to do or what's happened to us? We have the ability. We decide what we're going to create each and every day. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Stan Matthews, CEO of Supersport United, president of Linksfield Shul, mentor to many, many people and a leader in many ways, in many fields. Our SMS is 34519 or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. I always enjoy listening to whatever Viktor Frankl has to say. But I see a message has come through, Stan, and it says, Stan, you are such a super guy and inspirer. I love hearing you on the radio, sharing your worldview so sincerely. Warmest wishes, Roz Basaravi. <laughs> She's my bestie, the best dressed lady in Sydney and in all of Johannesburg. Always so glamorous. Absolutely. Lovely message. Thank you, Roz. Now, Stan, going back to what you were saying, you know, as far as mentorship is concerned, who would you say were your mentors in your life? Well, I've been very blessed to, to have many along the way, you know. Um, late Isaac Joffe, who gave me a job at Edendale Outfitters um, back in the day when I, when I also, you know, needed more work besides my coaching. Um, Sean Connor, I've mentioned. Uh, late Alan Michael, uh, ch uh, former chairman of, of, of Highlands Park and, and somebody who gave me a huge sense of, of responsibility in terms of community and what sport could do in um, making a contribution, which was a great outlet for me, um, you know, that I could build on. I think Ari Katz um, at Boston City Campus, uh, unbelievably dynamic uh, person, empowerer, um, creator. And, you know, a person that added immensely to, to my life in, in, in my, my eight years at, at Boston. 
Um, Steve Edelmuth, former ch- uh, chairman of Balfour Park, uh, you know, great guy who, who stretched me uh, a lot in terms of my vision of, of where I wanted to be in football. Um, MTS Patel, the CEO at, at, at Multi Choice, who gave me my break in, in football. And then, you know, Jewish administrators, um, Joe Pomensky, Ali Bacha, guys that uh, I looked up to and, um, and, you know, for mentorship personally, especially when, when I was managing players. Um, I had a young 21 year old Graham Smith as captain of the Proteas, and I myself was only a couple of years into player agency at that time. You were actually one of the youngest coaches ever, weren't you? Well, in player, in this side of my life in the player agency, I, I was in my mid twenties and managing half the Proteas mm-hmm. uh, cricket team. So it was something that was uh, quite a, a big step for me. And, and I, I, I wasn't really sure of w- my standing at that time. And suddenly I had Graham Smith, A.B. de Villiers, Dale Stain, Morkel Brothers, Mickey wow. Arthur, the coach. I had, I had a crop of, of players. And, and Dr. Bacher um, helped me immensely in that time um, with, with, with mentorship and, and how to be um, and how to revolve my administration style around um, value system and 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 prioritization of stakeholders. So, um, what have you taken from them, Stan? I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but as you're talking, I'm just thinking you you are mentioning so many mentors that you had, thank goodness, in your life. But what what do you do with your own mentorship for people? What is your aim when you mentor well, at-risk children or or whoever you're mentoring? I, I think uh, you know, for me. Each of those people that are mentioned and many, many, many others um, have made an indelible mark in my life and made an impression in one way or another of something that they did. Gave me a job when they didn't need to. Had a cup of coffee with me or a bit of sound advice when they didn't need to. Uh, bought me a, 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 a sidur or a machsor for yontif when they didn't need to. Um, you know, it, it pushed me to, to go on coaching course and better myself when they didn't need to. So... A lot of those type of things I take on to say people gave me breaks and kindness, you know, when they didn't have to. And a lot of that added up uh, to who I am and, and, and the satisfaction I get out of life. And, and, and a lot of that satisfaction is getting involved and helping other people. Uh, is uh, you know having those uh, connections of course there's desire and ambition and professionalism for me in my career i want to win i want to be successful i want to do well for my family that's the hard that's the hard stuff and they have to to do stuff but the how and 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 the quality of the journey is really steered by you and the people that you have around you and i think that's so important as to who we choose to have around us and who we choose to take guidance from and each of those people that I mentioned offers a different type of thing for myself I have to try to be authentic in what I can give to people because like everybody I'm a, I'm a limited individual I'd love to do so much for so many people but I can't so I try and stay within my space sport is, a, is an easy place for me to find a connection point with, with most people and obviously now with with my Yiddishkeit in the last, you know, decade or so, um, I, I try also to integrate that 
into my life and into my mentorship, into my coaching, um, formal and informal, because I've been to life coaches formally. I've paid for life coaching from various life coaches. And I've helped people with life coaching. So there's formal and informal kind of processes that play out in the space. And um, mentorship is, is absolutely critical. And as far as team spirit, I, I read somewhere that it said, we are not a team because we work together. We are only a team because we respect, care, and, um, and trust each other. I think all of those are so important, aren't they, with you working in any form is the trust, the care, the respect for each other, whichever field you might be in. I think that, that in sports I've seen many examples where, where that rule's broken but certainly not sustainable. And I think I think that's the key thing. You can you can have a, a, a hit, you can have success, you can win a cup uh, with a disjointed team, with an unhappy a, a bunch of players. Um, you can do it, and we have done it. But you can't keep that up. Um, you can't sustain that. So sustainability certainly requires those core ingredients of trust and and loyalty, unity. And it certainly makes it easier to be a part of a team. Another message has come through. It says, do you think your name pushed or defined you? I think um, I think that, you know, my, my parents and particularly my mom were, were, was a big soccer freak, obviously my dad as well, but <laughs> to, to give me that name, um, in the end now the name served me well. Just tell <laughs> me about the name. Well, I was named after Sir Stanley Matthews, uh, who was knighted by the Queen in 1965, the first uh, British footballer to be knighted. Um, obviously, it was a joke growing up, and especially, uh, you know, I, when I got my first red card for saying my name, <laughs> uh, because one of the referees, uh, old Ernie Boerter, um, he, he, he booked me and said, in those days, they took your name when they booked you. And he said, what's your name? And I said, Stanley Matthews. He said, now look here, son. You've already got a yellow card, so stop playing the fool. What's your name? <laughs> so I told him again, and I got sent off. I appealed the red card and lost the case. Uh, but uh, Was Sir Stanley Matthews also with a double T? Yes, oh, uh, wow. uh, exactly the same. So I, I think, you know, um, my parents had obviously the football uh, um, situation in, in, in their headspace. And life played itself out like that for me. And um, I believe now in terms of the name, especially Hebrew names, that there's no question that the, um, the essence of ourselves it resonates with our name. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, my Hebrew name is Zolman Leib, and I was named after my, my great-grandfather. And, um, you know, I, I feel that responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, A, through my name. Um, but you know, when we named our children, um, we also named them with with the intention of giving them their essence through their through their names. And um, I think, you know, uh, Hadara, my daughter, uh, which is you know magnificent and, and splendid, um, from the concept of pre-Aids Hadar and, and, and where we came from with her and my son who was born just after Hanukkah named him Matis Yahu and please God he too will be a leader um, you know in, in his family in his community uh, but you know when you have that Kavona I think if you have that intention um, of 
of naming, you know, with love. And most of us do do that to name after what, those that have passed before us and, 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 and that type of essence. Of course, for me, my, my, my brother and sister had, had kids before me. So, uh, you know, they, they, they stole my grandparents' names. And uh, so we, we, we actually had, uh, in a way, a gift of, of starting from fresh. I was going to stay of, of, of actually choosing yourself. There is another message. It says, I just realized this. After recently taking an assertive but tricky role for some small unfairnesses and winning, how a few years back I could have fought back for a huge injustice that would have made such a difference to my life, but felt like it was all my fault at the time. If we grew up in a disciplined household where our parents were to some extent victims when we were victimized, we are unable to take appropriate action to fight back against unfairness. Too little, too late. So sad. Anonymous. I um, I find that a sad message because I do feel that she, um, whoever anonymous is, there are always those choices to make, however hard they are, of becoming the best person we can become now. Not then, perhaps, but now. I think I think experience. it's hard, and I think as you get older, it's harder. It's harder to change, you know. It's it's, it's difficult to change uh, when when you get old, and and it's difficult to reconcile some things. There are many things in my life that uh, that carry a bitterness that, if I wanted to allow that bitterness to spread into my life, into the way I, I am with other people, definitely I could do that uh, because it, it, it was bitter enough to to warrant a lifetime and ten lifetimes of bitterness. But you have to, at some point, you know, draw a line. And, and you know, thank God for me, with my children uh, coming into the world, uh, that changed everything for me about the way I saw things, what I held on to, uh, what I was prepared to hold, you know, have bitterness about. And 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 thank God, my, you know, my children allowed me to release. Most of the bitterness that I have and the, and whatever's left over in, from certain experiences, I tucked it away and, and moved on with it because it, it, in the end, it only hurts you. And I do believe as well that um, our wounds, I, I say this so often on air, our wounds can become our wisdom. And the older I get, the more I realize that. There's another um, message here. I think it could be from your mom. That's my son. No ma- mother could be so incredibly proud. Dale Matthews. <laughs> Is that your mom? Oh, yeah, that's my mom. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Now, um, Stan, going back to let's let's just look at, at another thing that I wanted to say that Ali, um, not Ali Bacher, Muhammad Ali said, champions aren't made in gyms. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them. A desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have the skill and the will, but the will must be stronger than the skill. I think I think that when um, role models like uh, Muhammad Ali and, and or celebrities, uh, you know, big people that have achieved things in in life, uh, speak, then it's easy to roll things into a cliche and. And, and, and see and glorify. And I think that's part of the problem where we have today. The cult following. We do. We, we have this t- technology driven age and we glorify nonsense. If, if I see the things that, that our kids, uh, you know, w- at first instance, one is find impressive 
um, it's rubbish. Mm. But for them, it's big. And uh, so in, in, you have to look at it from different lenses uh, as, as a parent. But, y- you know, when you, when you talk about role models and you talk about being a champion, a lot of that's found in very humble ways and very Absolutely. humble. It's not all about being in a, you know, on TV, being in a cup final or in a, from a sporting perspective, in, in a life perspective about, uh, you know, being a Kardashian and being on reality and having 200,000 followers and all this nonsense. Being a real champion is about being the champion to the people that are closest to you, that depend on you the most, that you can have an impact on the most. That it's just to be a champion to one other person is big enough. I have to agree with you. And but we glorify and we we see it as the the knight riding in on a white horse and saving fifty people and doing a hundred things and you know landing the plane and it, it, that's all nonsense. Like real champion is found in in the day to day minutia of nonsense of applying yourself to say what did I do today for somebody else and. You know, and, and at the did end I take of the care day, of my business? You know, did I do what I have to do today? In all senses, from ourselves with Hashem, ourselves with our fellow man, ourselves with ourselves, um, you know, in each space that we, that we are, what did I do today? And, and then the biggest thing for me is about being too hard on ourselves because I think that that's the biggest problem today. Um, of, we are of, our of worst people critics. whipping themselves, mm. make mistake. I can't do it. You know, it, 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 getting down on on yourself. Mm. So, what chance do you have? And I think that being gentle on yourself is is one of the most important things. Obviously, you can't be mollycoddling yourself either. But being gentle and erring on the side of gentle. Um, and we learn it every day to, 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 with our right hand, uh, to put on our right shoe and to focus on chesed and kindness. It has to start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we can be an err on the side of gentle, then I think it's easier. But, but if we are too hard on ourselves, we almost invite that into the world. So it's almost going back to what Hillel said. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And I think that is being gentle on ourselves because we are our own worst critics. You know that Ali also, uh, Muhammad Ali also said, only a man who has known what it is like to be defeated to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win when the match is even. And he says, it's often, he went on to say, it's often that being at the bottom of your soul, that you're wondering how you can fight back and actually reach that light again. I think when you're talking about a technical skill like, let's say, boxing or football um, or something that you can master, so it's pretty widely accepted that if you put 10,000 hours into something, so you'll master that particular craft or skill. I think when 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 it's a when it's a physical mindset, the way that a Muhammad Ali would put across that type of quote, it's in a physical context of digging deep. Yes, mentally, of course, even in football, it's like that. But it's not so easy to do in the emotional realm. It's not so easy to do because it's those ten thousand hours might never give you that skill. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as as mastering a, a, a physical skill. You know, the emotional uh, strength and emotional um, bounceability, if you like, in the human spirit is much more complex. 
And that's why we need other people. We do. And we need mentors because we do have the defined power of the human spirit that we can pull on. And often we need it just to be shown to us what our next step could be. We're breaking for an advert. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Stan Matthews, and we've got a lot of messages coming through. Thank you so much. And um, Stan has been talking about uh, his mentorship, how, what meant, who mentored him, how he in turn is reaching back. We're going to, in a moment, just go on to humor, Stan, because I know, just going back to our show for a moment, that you used humor, this last uh, Rosh Hashanah, that brought the house down. And I think perhaps uh, it was against, uh, well, it was directed, not against, it was directed towards one of your mentors, probably, someone who, uh, Mr. Elliot Wolf, and you brought the house down. So what does humor actually mean to you? Because Viktor Frankl says humor is a weapon of the soul. Yeah, look, I grew up uh, always being the funny kid, so... You know, at school I was disruptive and um, I, I wasn't the best behaved kid. I spent a lot of time in the stockroom reading uh, <laughs> books and in the passages. Uh, but not bad, naughty. Um, my teachers all, all loved me and even to this day I've got an unbelievable relationship with all my, my former teachers. But at the time I think I was a handful and um, a lot of that was about being funny and it just became kind of part of 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 who I am to make jokes and and look at the lights out of things. You know, I can look at it and see that it is a defense mechanism also because especially uh, younger, uh, I could keep people at arm's length with my humor. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a jab. Um, Protective shield almost yeah, in many ways. You know, when you toss start out, uh, stuff out in a playful way, you can see a lot about your env environment and how people react. Sometimes I'll say um, uh, a, a joke and and I'll get a lot of revelation about the, the people, the way they laugh, what they found funny, uh, how they built on it, what, what kind of sense of humor they have. And... Um, I think, you know, I come, my family uh, have a good sense of humor. And we always had a lot of discussions around the Friday night table. So we've got a, quite an articulate family. Uh, as I said, a lot of lawyers and arguers. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up with a lot of lawyer, uh, you know, arguing. <laughs> and um, my mother was the world champion arguer of, of all time and still is. I can't beat her in any argument. So, uh, you know, we, we grew up in a free, free place where we could speak. And on my dad's side of the family was more um, uh, humorous, um, witty kind of one-line put-down kind of humor. Um, so I've had to work on that because um, I, I grew up naturally with put-down humor. And um, so if I look back on my life, hurtful. yes, if I look back on my life, I think that a lot of things I said um, to people over the years, especially the early years, would have been hurtful, especially, you know, my brother, my sister, people around me that I had a, a, a higher influence on, put down humor, um, was kind of, you know, British humor. Mm. Um, it's funny. And... 
you don't really mean it, but, but it's got a you bite know, to after, it. After, after a while, you, you can say, okay, you know what, I was, I was out of place there, I was insensitive there. So I've had to try and refine um, my humor as every part of my, my personality, um, you know, as, as, as I've got older and especially as I've become a parent because, um, you know, things that are funny with your friends are not so funny to your kids. Um, or for your kids mm. So yeah That balance uh, I, I wouldn't say I've got it right But uh, I think that everybody That spends time with me Has a good laugh And, <laughs> and a I, good I hug <laughs> All the men have a good hug From you too Yeah I, I, I didn't really grow up with, In an overly affectionate household um, You know In terms of hugging And kissing and whatever I think if I tried to hug Or kiss my dad He'd give me a clap And, <laughs> and you know, tell me I'm a moffy. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think that over time, um, especially my friends and especially Yiddishkeit um, have given me that – Yiddishkeit gave me an embrace. Mm-hmm. And I think that now for me uh, to, to hug or be affectionate uh, to people um, is, is, uh, is something I enjoy. And um, – you and know. they enjoy. I have seen it. I've noticed it in our shul. I've seen you go up and hug different people. And, you know, you, uh, you can almost touch what you are actually handing out to people, quite honestly. It's a, it's tangible. It's, it's a recognition of who they are, Stan. And I personally, I appreciate seeing that. I think it's sometimes it's, uh, you know, um, Let's say risque or in today's environment, you know, things are different. When when I grew up, you know, getting a smack wasn't the end of the world. I got six jacks all the time, you know, <laughs> Mr. Ochila and Mr. Wolf and Mr. Connor himself and, and my principal, Mr. Rabinovitz. They all gave me six of the best mm. uh, many, many times. And uh, we grew up like that. It wasn't a big deal. Today, everybody's sensitive about a lot of things. And that stretches over if you go into like the look now at the Me Too movement and this Kavanaugh debacle in America mm-hmm. and whatever. So you have to also be careful today. You can't be so free, um, and it's not Woodstock or, you know, <laughs> uh, to be free and, 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 and loving it at, at all times, um, especially with opposite sex. And I think that's what I found easier in Yiddishkeit. So nice, you know, in our environment sometimes, you go to Uman with 35,000 men, so you can only hug men. And you get over your homophobia, and you get on with your achdus and your love for your fellow man, and it's a tremendously liberating thing I think if you look at a chuppah and you see people or you go to a barmy and you see the young kids dancing together that expression of freedom that release of spirit and soul of what music gives how beautiful music is and music and dance and a lot of music and dance has to do with embrace and, and touch and, and connection. But because of the sensitivities and sneers, of course, for the Rabbonim, just lo and behold, Rabbi Bokov's listening. I'll be banished <laughs> to the outer ring of, um, of the community uh, for not mentioning uh, sneers, but you know, modesty. But I think in a genuine way that life has become more complex now in this type of litigating environment and judging environment and also insecure environment it's not as safe anymore and the way I was I mean as a coach I used to take a lot of children away for for uh, holiday inns weekends and soccer coaching camps and stuff like that and I'm saying to you like now I wouldn't feel comfortable about doing that to 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 my kids uh, broadly speaking because the world is is crazy and and 
you, you know, we, I think you want to be a little bit more protective uh, mm. today. And we're so much more aware today as well of the dangers, aren't it, we? We are, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. They're still mm. there. There's a lot of, 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 of horribleness out there in, uh, towards women and children. And, and I think that for me is, is like a very, like special calling, not just, you know, within the community, uh, within the, not the Linksfield community per se, but generally for me, the, the, the protection of, of women and children, uh, um, is very, very important. And we have to be mindful so we can be affectionate and, and, and be out there and be loving. But I think that, you know, the sanctity around the women and children needs to be preserved because uh, we still, the society is not in the space that we need to be in and not South African society and not global society. Mm-hmm. You're so right. You know, I see the time is going quickly. I just want to go back to community for a moment. You are the president of Linksfield Shul. And Stan, what does community mean to you? Well, you know, I was at Sydenham Shaw for, for, for 19 years, and um, I didn't really get involved in the community. At Sydenham, I was a passenger, great choir and great rabbis and great uh, chazan, uh, you know, Yudi and before that, Oshi. And, and I had, you know, a wonderful time at, at Sydenham as a passenger. And so I didn't really... I, I watched people like Stan Seif, you know, um, and Harold Novick and, and guys like that, you know, lead the, the, the community. But it didn't really resonate. And I suppose only once we started keeping Shabbos did the community element really kick in. We're just breaking for an advert. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guest today is Stan Matthews, which has been wonderful having you. We're talking about community, and I see that one of the things that you wrote in our Shul magazine was, we need every one of you and the one special contribution you feel you can bring to the party. First and foremost, we need your time and your positive energy. I love that because you, you go on to say we need you to take on one thing that's purely for the good of the community to work together. Now, that is a bit what, what you've said there is just so important because it is that, that simcha of actually being together, of working together and uh, I think the problem is that you don't know what you don't know. So like I said, you know, when we were at Sydney, we went, we heard a great service, we heard a great uh, drosh, we had a great brocha, and then we got on, you know, with our lives and um, to the next week. And in, in fact, to be honest, even when we w- went to Linksfield, it started like that. But then Shadi got involved in... Shadi is Stan's wife, and she is very involved with our community and an absolute asset to us all. So I think that was the starting point, you know, Shadi getting involved with the, with the Ladies Guild at, at, at Linksfield and starting to work the kitchen and the brochas and the, the functions and set up and, and Chesed, you know, the, the Chesed Club. Mm. And I think her involvement really kick-started us as a family, our inv- you know, our deeper involvement in the shul. And for me personally, I, I, I followed Shadi. I didn't lead into the shul. I wasn't certainly looking for leadership uh, in the shul and even now I can't wait to toss this rugby ball um, (laughs) to the next president but um, I have enjoyed very very much 
um, the journey because getting involved and, and, and starting to, to be around more has, has led to such deeper connections with people uh, through the, you know, whether it's the shiva houses and, you know, where you're going for prayers, whether it's the morning minyanim, whether it's the shiurim, um, you know, that we, we put together at the night. Lectures. Some mm. of the tours that we, we, we've had a tour to Israel, um, you know, the, when the kids, are, when people have babies and meals are dropped there, the sense of community is, is, has been overwhelming. And I think that when you see it, then you realize you have to play your part. And um, if each of us can just do something, then it will make a massive difference. And the big thing is that it actually makes a big difference to you, the giver. It's hard to see that in the beginning. <coughs> Excuse me. But... It, when you get involved and you roll up your sleeves and you do it, then you start to see that actually it was the most gratifying experience for yourself. And, um, and, and you look back on it and, you know, I went in kicking and screaming. Being the president, I didn't want to be it. And, um, but the seven months have been the most enriching for me from a connection point of view, from a relationship point of view, from feeling that I'm making a difference point of view. That's been very rewarding. And, and I think also to, for, 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 for my kids to see, um, how important it is to, to, to try and make a difference and add. And we've, we're blessed at Linksfield with many, many people that, um, put so much of themselves into the community, mm. uh, from the rabbis down. Um, you, you know, we, we're very lucky uh, in all the spheres um, that we can tick those boxes. And I, I think if you get complacent and you, 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 you're not going to kind of survive and you've got to keep moving forward. And once again, we're looking at team spirit and trusting and caring about each other in all the spheres that keep a community going. Stan, we're running out of time. So let me just end with one question. That it has come through. What? How do you feel about sport in South Africa, and how do you feel about South Africa? Everyone's asking this question at the moment, and uh, it's a difficult question to answer because we are in a time of of change again. It's a, it's 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 tremendously difficult, and I think at this time, especially as I said, people are under siege: financial siege, health siege, relationship siege, depression sieges. You know, everybody, everybody, we swamped with technology. It's hard. But I think globally, are you saying the, the whole world? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, every single country is a mess. But I'll tell you this: that we, we have an opportunity in South Africa to make a real difference. And I've had opportunities to go and work in Australia, to go and work in the UK, um, and and I've turned down both those opportunities because you know in those places um, would be an ordinary cog in a wheel. And I wouldn't have the reach and make the difference that I can make here in South Africa. And I think that each of us has to look and see there's a lot of problems in South Africa and in the world. We have issues um, in our sports, in our country, but we have to change that. And I think that we have to take that responsibility and see the opportunity for what it is of how we can make a difference to, to use our positions, whether it's head of our family or within our community or in our workplace 
to make a difference and and uh, to make South Africa great again. Uh, I think that's that that's important. Uh, uh, South Africa is a beautiful country, and it's been an amazing for all of us. And we need to make sure that it's got a bright future. Thank you, Stan. We have to end on that note, but we're going to be ending with a song by Shakira, Waka Waka, which was played at the 2010 FIFA World Cup, and Waka Waka for South Africa and for Africa. Thank you so much, Stan. And there's a lot still to discuss, and I know I'm going to get a lot of requests for you to come back. I hope you will come back again. Thank you, Sue. Will you come back again? For you. (laughs) For sure. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much, Craig.